Amen. Amen. Well, we're thankful you're here this morning. We want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and doing something a little different this morning. We're going to be doing a little tag team preaching. Uh, so go ahead and buckle up. Get ready. It's going to be good. I'm going to do my best not to step in that. <laughs> yes, right. I'll, I'll preach over on this side. But we've been just looking and praying and um, God's been stirring something in us, even as we've been doing this song on seasons. Have you guys enjoyed that song and the theology and the ministry of that song? It's, it's so deep and so uh, wrapped with so much truth of how God grows us, how the journey of life, how God moves what he does. And we've just been inspired and we've been having a lot of conversation around it. And so God has been putting this word in our heart, the God of seasons, and we wanna to get to that. But before we do, we just wanna share um, kind of some traditions, some things that we enjoy um, about Christmas. I gotta say, by the way, that Hallelujah song was beautiful, and you did that so well. And so thankful for our worship team. And uh, we're gonna have a candlelight moment here at the end of service. Our kids are gonna come over and worship with us as well. Uh, but we were just talking some kind of some fun stories, some traditions uh, that you've had growing up, that I've had uh, growing up. And uh, one of my fond memories of Christmas as a kid uh, was actually with Nanny. And uh, every three years or so, she would always surprise us. And we would go see the Christmas Carol at Playhouse in the Park. Anybody ever been to the Christmas Carol Playhouse in the Park? An awesome show of how they move and the stage and all the, the characters and really... We, she would always do it at the beginning of the Christmas season where the story would come alive. Well, I remember she would always take all of us, all the grandkids would go, and Lauren, I'm sure you remember this day. Uh, but when we had went with, with Jim, I'm now being married and you know not a kid anymore, I, I now know you probably gave him two jobs. One was drive us there and make sure you got the tickets. Those were probably his two jobs and you would have been happy. Well, he got us there and we were at the restaurant and having a good time with Jim and with Nanny, all his grandkids. And he pulls the tickets out of his pocket to come to find that he had the wrong time of when the show starts. And so I can remember looking over at Nanny and seeing just, if you can imagine someone beautiful being frustrated, that's, <laughs> that's where she was at that time. She Try, put a little extra lip gloss on. Yeah, trying to keep her composure, not wanting to get mad and, and lay into Jim. And if you know Jim, it, that does not surprise you if you remember him. And I can remember as well, if you want, it, it, she was wearing heels at the time, I'm sure. And if you want to see someone move quickly in heels, that was the moment. I don't think I've ever saw you seen run as quick to get to the car. But we, we got there, we got to the show, the show right in time, we wrapped up dinner, and we had an awesome time uh, starting the Christmas Carol. So that was always a fun yeah. memory that I had. Another one of your memories is something that you loved to watch was It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, that's right. Jody told me, she said, we are watching it this year. The only thing I know about It's a Wonderful Life is it's in black and white, and there's a little tinky tink. Right, when the angel comes, We're is there close. an angel in there? I'm yes. close? Okay. You're close. We didn't really talk about we didn't really talk about that. But you guys watched It's a Wonderful Life. Right. You know, throughout the Christmas time. Well, we watched um, It's a White Christmas. And so that every year us girls would sit down. We knew the movie by heart. You know, we knew the sisters, sisters. Nobody knows what the na 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 na, -na sisters. You know, like <laughs> Well, we knew, we knew that part, right? 
And I grew up in Chicago, so we always had a white Christmas. Y'all here in Kentucky, it's fickle, okay? We had Christmas like two weeks ago when it snowed, no. But in Chicago, it snows often, a lot. And so we always had a white Christmas. So the movie was very iconic to me because we'd sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Sing along. Just like the ones I used to know. You don't know about that. We can do a little duet here. May your days be merry and bright. And may all your Christmases be white. I'm sorry for you Kentucky folk. You really haven't experienced what I've experienced. So that song was something so meaningful to me because we actually experienced a white Christmas. So that was a really fun tradition. And like the gifts, it was so fun to unwrap your gifts. And all I wanted as a child was I wanted this newest Sims on the computer. You older people don't know about Sims. <laughs> but it was Sims Pet, Sims like Dream House. So it was all about the Sims life. That was, that was a gift that I just always loved getting. What did you, what was some of the gifts you enjoyed? So we moved in the span of growing up, we moved all around Northern Kentucky probably 15 times. So every couple years we'd be in a new house, therefore it was a new adventure, me and my two brothers, to try to find where mom and dad hid the Christmas presents every year. There was new closets, new storage areas. They did great hiding them, but we had a way of sniffing it out every year and trying to find, get it, to find out what we got. But mom and dad were always so good. They'd always kind of have our own areas of having presents. And then they'd always get us something that would really benefit kind of all of us, whether it was like an Xbox or a PlayStation. Um, we were actually an Xbox house, so we always had an Xbox there. But that was always fun and um, always good memories there as well. But as we were just talking about memories and traditions and family, uh, so thankful for those memories. But on a day like today where we're celebrating and remembering and looking into Christmas, it's always good to push past the commercialization. I think it, it doesn't take much to really look at where Christmas has gone, what it's become. It's all about the gifts, it's all about the shopping, it's all about kids, good things, but if you're not careful, you can really miss what the purpose and what the spirit of Christmas is all, is all about. So I wanna commend you for being here today, that you're making it priority, that you're wanting to worship God and keep Jesus at the center of Christmas. But I want us to turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning, and this is the shepherd's account of the Christmas story of Christ. And Brie, why don't you read that for us this morning? Luke 2, 8 through 17 says, that night in a field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Do not be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyful news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. Amen. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. 
Then all at once a vast number of glorious angels appeared in the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing, Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. For when the choir of angels disappeared back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go, let's hurry, and let's find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves that the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran to the village, they found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened, and everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were just told. So what we see in the scripture that many of us have read thousands of times, the shepherds were in their field, they were attending to their flock, and all of a sudden, the angels came out from heaven and said, do not be afraid, for I bring good news. And I had read this story so many times, and it like just hit me. I'm like, why were the shepherds the first ones to like hear about this good news? Why were they, what, what is their significance? Because they really seemed kind of insignificant to me. They weren't bringing gifts. They were just doing their thing, doing what they do. Mm -hmm. And they heard this miraculous news that the Savior was going to be born. And to me, the shepherds kind of seemed insignificant. They seemed very unqualified to hear this good news. And so I I continued to dig deeper because I'm like, what is their importance? And I read in a commentary that the shepherds really represented, it was a representation of the good shepherd. And just in the scripture before, we see that the same thing happened to Mary. The angel came, visited Mary. She was shocked. Wouldn't you be? We have never seen an angel. I'm sure if you were to see an angel, you would be shocked and afraid and frightened. And so we see this. And she said, and the angel says to her, do not be afraid, for you are favored by God. And I really see Mary in the same boat as the shepherds. She was just doing her. She was just living her life. She was 14. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this good news came to her. And really, she was pretty unqualified. She was really insignificant because she was young. And so... They're kind of the same, but for some reason, there was favor on their life. And I can imagine how scared Mary must have felt. Because when we found out that we were pregnant with Daniel, I remember the moment so vividly, because we were sitting by the fireplace. I just took the test, and I'm like shocked. And we're sitting by the fireplace, and we're like, what just happened? Did anybody else have that experience? Oh, what did we just do, you know? And so we were, we were like scared, but we were also joyful because there was, it was good news to us. We were also joyous in the same moment. And that's what God does. In the same breath, he says, don't be afraid for I have favor on your life. And you said this so great last week. I want to read it. It says, obedience can seem ridiculous to the flesh, but it makes perfect sense to the spirit of God. Yeah. And you know, the Bible so many times it says, do not lean on your own understanding. And you know, from Genesis to Revelation, it just gives us this encouragement. It says, do not be afraid. So I believe that this morning that there are some of you that are wanting to step out 
but fear is holding you back from the gift that God has for you? Is there something in 2020 that's paralyzing you from really stepping into that gift? Because it's a beautiful gift, but it can also be a frightening gift. But I love what the word says mm-hmm. in 1 John 4, 8. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts so out all fear. fear. No, that's good. It's good preaching right there. You better pray for job security. I just no, okay, you do no, great no. every week. I would not want to do we're what he does every same week. Same blood there, so I, I hopefully I, I'm we're good okay. once a year. Amen. <laughs> that just happened. All right. So I, lo- I love that scripture. Perfect love casts out fear. And what's amazing is, as we're talking about the God of seasons, we're talking about how the the encounter of the shepherds that what really jumps off the pages of scripture to me there is when good news was given, when good news was announced, their natural response was not joy, but it was fear. And as I've followed God, as I've seen him move and seen how he works, many times the enemy wants to put fear right in front of you when God's about to do something or break through into your life. And so if we can take this message and what we really see from Genesis to Revelation all throughout the Bible, we see this theme of Christ, we see this theme of the prophets, we see it even in the book of Esther, it's not being afraid to step out and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we really put together these points of really what we see as we take account of this, uh, of this story in Luke chapter two and what I want to share with you right now And point number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is God always specializes in using small. We see God do amazing things with small things. Now, I can remember learning this lesson in my life that I had to get over the fact to not be fearful of small. That many times our culture and our world always parades and shouts and screams, you got to do it big. You got to have a big church. You have to have a big ministry. You have to have a big life. And if you don't, then put a filter on it and portray it that way on Instagram. Like that's, the, that's what constantly we fight in our culture. That's what we see on our commercials. And it, it, it's not good enough just to give a nice sentimental gift. But when you see the commercial, I feel guilty if I'm not getting you a car. Like that's just what you see. It's just pushes bigness all the time. And so I can remember going on this journey and really seeing how God specializes in using small things. That when God puts a gift in your life, it usually, and here's the symbolism, it usually fits in the size of your hand. That God always works in seed format. Haven't you seen this in your life before? And that's what we celebrate in Christmas, that God's greatest gift came as a seed. It came as a baby. It started in a small format. It started in something that just wasn't big. It wasn't... uh, Jesus or God coming uh, with a chariot of soldiers around him and angels and going to take over Rome and, and establish his government. He came as the most fragile part of our society and our humanity, that God came as a baby. It really is miraculous and crazy when you think about it. And so I was thinking about this and I was looking at a lot of your posts on uh, social media because what has been kind of a popular hashtag lately is the decade challenge. Who's participated in the decade challenge? where you, you look back, because we're closing out a decade in 2019, going into 2020, that a lot of you took a picture of you in 2010, and then you posted a picture of you in, in 2020, and uh, we all lost a lot of weight, I saw that. 
uh, we all just, everything was great, right? And that's what we You had blonde hair. I, had, I did have blonde <laughs> hair in 2010. That's a story for another time, though. But what I began to see and think through that, and I've just began to do kind of an audit on this past decade, because we're going into a new decade. And just as God works in seasons, just as we kind of close this year out, and as, as you were just so beautifully sharing that we don't want to step into 2020 being paralyzed by fear, but we want to step into it confident. We want to step into it not afraid, but trusting God. And so I was thinking a great gift that, just a very practical gift that greatly impacted my life, but started in a seed format. I came across a picture as I was looking at this, and it was from my 16th birthday, and it was a truck that my parents had got me. It was a truck that I wanted. And if you're a Toyota person, it was a 2002 Toyota Tacoma Extend Cab 4x4. It was the truck that I wanted. And I didn't think I was gonna be able to get it. I was working at KFC, saving all my money, doing everything I knew to do. And I can remember on my 16th birthday, if you all remember Max and Irma's best tortilla soup, Crestview, no longer there, rest in peace. <laughs> but we went to have a, um, a, a dinner there. And what unbeknownst to me, we pull into the parking lot and there's a Tacoma sitting there. I don't see it, but Clay, my brother, does. And he says, oh, Garrett, there's a for sale sign on that truck. And Clay, and again, this wasn't how the story was supposed to happen, but if you know Clay, it doesn't surprise you because he's just good at just saying it. But he sees a for sale sign on and he says, oh my gosh, it says happy birthday, Garrett, on the for sale sign. <laughs> Because mom and dad were supposed to have kind of this journey of walking me out and, hey, I think there's a truck for sale out in the parking lot. And so right when we pull in, I found out I have a truck. I'm so thankful. <laughs> and I'm telling you, as, as I look back, I ended up having, never would I have thought, looking back now, but I had that truck for 10 years. Like, that was my signature. If you knew me, I was, you saw that 02 black Toyota Tacoma. You know it. A lot of you worked with me in it. But as I was thinking and talking with Bree is, I can tell you in that time, my parents never knew or never just, it wasn't a part of their plan when they got me that truck that it would be used to accompany so many different seasons in my life. That they were simply getting it for me to get from school to home, from home to work. That that was really the triangle that was my life from 16 to 18. But then when college rolls around the corner, I take the truck to college with me, and as a struggling college student, began praying, asking God for creative ideas. How can we make some money? How can I, you know, get through college? And this opportunity came to start a business. We called it College Muscle Movers. And me and my floor, we'd jump in this truck, four guys in an extend cab. It was quite a sight to see. We'd go rent a trailer. We'd go out and we'd load up three jobs on a Saturday. We'd move a bunch of people. And it ended up providing so much in that time. Fast forward when we first got married, still had the truck. And it, uh, my brother Clay worked for this bike dealership. It was the largest used bike dealership in the state of Georgia called Wild Motorcycles. And he was uh, in Tulsa at the time, and they sub out work all over the country to get guys to find these motorcycles, negotiate with it, lock in the deal, and then you take your truck and you go pick them up, you load the bikes in the back, and then you take them to the warehouse. You store them up, then they bring the tractor trailer out, load them up. And so Clay said, I'm not in Tulsa, you're here in Kentucky, I want you to have this work. And so right when we first got married, we were really kind of coming into ministry here at the church, that opportunity opened up, 
And I tell you, I ran the wheels off that truck going everywhere from Dayton to Columbus, getting all of these Our bikes. Our date nights were going to pick Our up Our date bikes. nights were bike nights, <laughs> but hey, we baby, never got on the go bike. to Indianapolis? Is there food involved? <laughs> sure, I'll go. <laughs> but what I want you to see through that, and I could keep going on, even to the point where now I, had, I got a trailer and another business opportunity opened up, and I started to find after 10 years, 220,000 miles on a, on a six-cylinder truck, it, it, there came a point where it couldn't handle what I needed it to do. But what I want you to see is that, again, what was given is just a gift in a small format. God used over the years, use something old, use something small to continue to birth new things in my life and in our lives to be a blessing. And kind of as you see how God specializes in using small, what began to happen is I didn't want to let go of the truck, that some more business came, more volume of it came, that I didn't want to let go of it because how many of you are thankful when you don't have a car payment? It's the greatest feeling in the world. The truck was paid for. I, I learned to back up a trailer in it. I went through a, a whole bumper in that season of learning to back up a trailer. But I was comfortable in it. I knew all the ticks and all the feels. You put money into it, and you, I didn't want to get rid of it. I didn't want to let it go because it was something comfortable, and it did what it was meant to do. But what I began to see and what, where my faith began to be stirred in that, with that is that in order to really move on and continue going, the truck had to go. It was time for it. It served its purpose. And as I look back on that, and as I look back on the 10 years, that truck served an amazing purpose in my life to accomplish and really help establish us, be a blessing to us, be a blessing to you. Because you know if you have a truck, you're the first one to get called when someone needs to move. And so I want you to be encouraged in that, is that don't be despising what God is wanting to develop in your life. That there came a point where I started to say, God, if I don't get a new truck, I'm not going to be able to keep doing what I'm doing. And so instead of complaining, I started to put things in motion to keep continuing to move forward. And so what I want you to hear is this, is just because it's small today doesn't mean it won't grow tomorrow. And when we see in that song, Seasons, the God of Seasons, it says, if you're not done working, then I'm not done waiting. And I think that's a truth we have to lean into this Christmas season is that just because we don't see it doesn't mean God isn't working, doesn't mean God isn't teaching. Just like with that truck, I was learning to back up a trailer where now I have such confidence with a trailer, I would take on my Uncle Chad and try to have a competition to get it in the tightest spot. Let's do it. Uh, I'll bring my A game. But God specializes in using small and I, I don't want you to see this morning, I want you to see this morning, don't despise what God has put in your hand. Don't despise small beginnings. I preached on this before, Zephaniah 4.10, it says, do not despise small beginnings because God rejoices to see the work begin. So if you're believing something for God, you have to step out and trust God. Don't despise it because it's small, but that's usually where the work begins. That's so true, I love that. And I love that too, just the, simile of it of how that 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 gift you could no longer take into the next season right and that god was he blessed us with another truck that could do everything that we needed to do and how you did have to let some things go you had to let go of what was such a good gift to you in order to get something better and a lot of the times you know 
we see God's packaging as problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to put up this picture, um, so Daniel, for his first birthday, he got um, a lot of gifts. And um, so we like kind of spread his gifts out. So we were like the good parents, you know, we were getting him gifts all the time. So we uh, had, I had just recently pulled this one up and Bryn had gotten him this little snail that you push it down and it lights up and he just has a blast. So I'm getting this gift out and (laughs) I just get so fed up with it. Any parents, like y'all understand, these things come with zip ties, little screws that you don't even have like a screw for, you know what I'm saying? Like you're trying to pull, tear all this stuff just to get out this gift. And so I just got fed up with it and I was like, here, just take the toy. And so it's still halfway in the box and he's playing with it. It took a few days and I sent Bryn a picture and I said, yes, it's still in the box. Like I just, I, it was done. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. And a lot of the time that's when we're unpacking God's gifts, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes sacrifice. And most important, it takes intentionality. Um, I don't know about you, but I like Ikea. Um, it's relatively decent price furniture. Um, I don't know. I think what we need to do for a marriage conference is just buy a ton of Ikea stuff. Let's just lay it out. Let's let the couples just go at it, putting together something. I don't know about your marriage, but this guy over here, he's like, throw the directions away. I'm like, I'm trying to go find the directions because we got to put the little pegs where they're supposed to be like, honey, we've got to listen to the Swedish people. The Swedes know what they're doing. (laughs) And so we somehow managed to do it with both of our creativity. We've done it the hard way. We've done it his way. And we've done it. Her way works better. My way. (laughs) Somehow when we do it your way, it does work out. It just might be a little missing some pieces. But, um, but a lot of the time, you know, when you go through Ikea, you're go- you have to start from the very beginning of the story. Then you're putting things in your cart that you didn't even, like, you're like, I don't need another spatula, but I need it today. Uh-huh. You know, and so you finally get all the way down. You go through all the lights, and finally you're there with your little peg pencil, and then you have to go find your item. And then you've got to go find it in all the aisles because they don't have workers coming and pulling it down for you. Then you have to load it up into your car and then you have to put it together. That is why we don't have a lot of Ikea furniture. We don't like taking the time. The furniture, the end is really good, but the process is really frustrating. Mm. And a lot of the time we won't go through and we won't unwrap what God is trying to unwrap because it's problematic. It's frustrating, there's issues, there's drama. So we don't want to go through all of that. And when I think about even with this, the significance of the present that's wrapped, let me read this. The present is wrapped and it has no bearing of the power of the gift that's inside. When you think about when you get engaged, that little ring box carries something so great and so significant to the one that you're giving it to. And so the, the box is literally probably a 10-cent box, but what's inside it is great. And a lot of the times we have a lot of those types of moments where there are blessings in disguise. You know, the Ikea trip could be a blessing in disguise. And a lot of the time we discount it because we don't want to have to go through the process. We don't want to be surrounded with something with issues. 
And sometimes we become even grateful, ungrateful for the things that we had prayed for. You know, maybe you prayed for a job and then you're, you're all of a sudden there's work issues. You don't like your boss. There's too much drama and you're like, I don't want this anymore. But it's exactly what you prayed for. It's good. It was the gift that you wanted, but now the, the gift that you wanted is problematic. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe you prayed for kids and you're like, Lord Jesus, take them, get them out of the house, Lord. I want my house back, you know. Um, and now you see your children as problematic. And what are you discounting that God is wanting you to unwrap and say, this isn't a problem, but this is truly a blessing. And what we see in the text before, that the angels had appeared to the shepherds and said, good news of great joy. You will see a sign, a baby wrapped in cloth. And that's not what they expected. They expected the king of kings and the Lord of lords to be wrapped in gold, to just have it all. But no, he was laid in a feeding trough. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords came in one of the most humble ways that anybody could come into this world. And when we look at it from, you know, man's perspective, Jesus was born in one of the most disgusting places of that time. Mm-hmm. He was born in a stable. When you really think about that, and they didn't have any place, so they put him in a feeding trough. Mm-hmm. And if you would look at that situation today, you would say, he's unworthy. He's despised, he's, he's looked as less, but they didn't know the gift that was in that feeding trough that day, that he was the king of kings, the lord of lords, and that was eventually going to set us free from our addictions, mm-hmm. our oppressions. That's right. And so a lot of the times we see things from a fleshly perspective. We see things as less than, we discount them just because of what they're wrapped on on the outside. Amen? Amen. And so, so many times that we do that, and I think about how many times that I've discounted what God's doing in my life because, you know, I'm not here, or I don't have what they have, or I'm not doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. when God's just saying, I've handed you this in your hand, and so many times we have to lean in, and we truly do have to trust the process that God is going to wrap something good in our life. That's good. Amen. I want to close with this point here. And it's this, it's God's time is always on time. Anybody need to be reminded of that this morning? That God's timing is always on time. Uh, Someone also said this, someone defined a man as a creature, as someone who buys football tickets three months in advance, but does his Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. So man, I think we always need a little help with our timing. Again, with the story in Luke chapter two, the greatest gift that we're celebrating is the salvation for all of mankind. And so this gift is of highest honor. This gift is of great premium in our lives. And as I was thinking of God's timing, when you, and even a little bit that you shared there, is that if you were to look at the season, the situation of when Christ came, it really doesn't make sense to the flesh. That why would he come and God, you know, questions maybe you would ask, why wouldn't God have a room prepared for his son? When God entered the room, why, would, why weren't things in order and why weren't things prepared? Well, when you dig deeper into the Christmas story, you'll see that there was reason for every part of what was happening and what was going on in the Christmas story. 
One of the first prophecies given that we would be given a redeemer is found in Genesis 3.15, where it says that though the enemy, enemy, though that Satan might strike your heel, he will crush his head, talking about Jesus Christ, that there was this story of redemption already being painted at the beginning of the fall of man of Adam and Eve. And I was thinking about God's timing, that ever since that prophecy was given, the enemy was scrambled and angry and had a, was putting a plan in place because he never wanted that prophecy to come about. He never wanted his head to be crushed because that was his ultimate destination. That was his ultimate thing. And so when you think about God's timing, you even hear one of the toughest parts, in my opinion, of the Christmas story is how... In the story, we see King Herod put a decree out that every baby under the age of two was to be killed because Herod was an egotistical leader and couldn't stand the thought of someone taking his throne and taking his place. And so what that story would be known as is the massacre of innocence. And I think that describes so much of what the enemy wants to do is he wants to massacre the innocence of our children. He wants to massacre your purity. He wants to massacre your faith that the enemy can't stand that you and I have authority to crush his head. Yes. Even though we may feel an attack at our heels, we ultimately know he is under our feet and we can crush his head. So and so, so many things you can see if you really look into it, you'll see that the timing makes sense, not to the flesh, but to the spirit, yeah. because God was up to something much bigger of what was taking place. I wrote this down last minute. And this is just about timing, and, and Tozer says this. He says, outside of the time of God, there is nothing I want. And in the time of God, or in the will of God, there is nothing I fear. Yeah. So you should take great hope and great faith this morning that when you're in the will of God, there is nothing that you need to fear. But outside of it, there should be nothing that you want. And when your heart is in that place of through this season of starting with something small, the present, the gift may look problematic, but if I have this assurance that I am in the will of God and the timing of God, then I can create, take great courage that God is moving. There's purpose in the pain of what I'm experiencing that I don't have to be afraid. Judy Combs shared this. I wrote this down. This was good too. She said, your calling is not meant to fit who you are today but who God created you to become. Yeah. So even though it doesn't make sense right now, God's not called you just for the here and now, but he's the God of yesterday, today, and forever, that you serve a God who sees into your future. He sees past your present, yeah. and he sees into your past as well. Yeah. And one thing I've known in just this journey of following God is that God is never late. We know that. He's definitely never early. Somebody say amen to that. Amen but he's always on time. He's always on time. Right when you think, God, where are you? He always shows up. I think about the story of Joseph too. And this is really a picture of grace where you see the, the law was the rule of the land. You see with Joseph, the, the father of, of Jesus, that when, uh, just put yourself in the Christmas story here, that Mary at 14 years old was told by an angel that she was going to be impregnated by God and then therefore she was going to take that news to Joseph and under the law, because of what the situation was, Joseph had every right to bring her into the public and to stone her and have her killed. So that's what Mary was up against of not being afraid but we see that God sent angel to Joseph, sent an angel to Mary but there's one part of the Christmas story that really speaks to me of what Joseph did here because it's a picture of grace. And what, was, what it said of Joseph is that where he had every right to stone her, 
it, the scripture says that he decided to divorce her quietly. That we even see that Joseph, he could have taken that position and that authority under the law and everyone come around him, but how it said, I'm going to leave her quietly. That there was something within him, we see grace working out. And even it cross-references that when Jesus takes the woman caught in the act of adultery, I can tell you that story was told around the table as Jesus was growing up of that Joseph because of the angelic visit that he could have been telling Jesus, Jesus, at one point I was going to leave Mary because it was not in my best interest. And I can tell you as that story was told, when Jesus caught the woman in the act of adultery, what did Grace say to her? It says, woman, your, your sins are forgiven. And so grace covered her, but it just didn't cover. Then Jesus said, now go and sin no more. So then grace covered, but then it empowered. And so we even see just in this picture right here, a picture of the grace of God, that it, Joseph covered her. But I can tell you Joseph was, because he was a man of wisdom, he then empowered and protected her. You know, I think being in, in the will and in the timing of God, that one of Joseph's main role of this was to protect Mary, was to protect Jesus, was to help provide for, to pay for the journey, to get them to where they needed to go. Because when you see, again, with the account of the shepherds, and I think a lot of us feel this way, as many times we feel unqualified. Why would God use me? Why would God tell me to do this? Why I see how much God is blessed in, in all of these things. And there's this sense of just that, like the shepherds of feeling unqualified, but what I want you to see in the timing of God and what I want you to be encouraged with is to not be disappointed because I've seen in my life and the life of, of others, if you allow disappointment to become unaddressed, then that unaddressed disappointment can lead to a place of depression. And then if you find yourself in a place of depression, it can lead to a place of defeat and ultimately the enemy has you in a place of despair. And when you're in a place of despair, nothing works, nothing looks right, nothing sounds right, feels right. And see, here's the amazing thing. And as we close, if you guys will come, you might have seen this, but if you take the word depression and you rework it, what you can spell out in the word depression is I pressed on, that I pressed on, that I'm not gonna allow depression to have the final word in my life. Because I'm not understanding God's timing in this, I'm not gonna allow myself to be depressed because God's not working as quick as I thought he should, or God's not moving as quick as I thought he would. That God is always up to something bigger than what meets the eye. And Christmas, again, Christmas begins what Easter celebrates. So without Christmas, without this gift of Emmanuel, God with us, uh, C.S. Lewis also quotes many times in his books that life is full of highs and lows, peaks and troughs. And so when you take an audit of your life and you understand that Emmanuel is with you even on the high times, and even on the lows, that should give you great joy and great hope that no matter where I go, Emmanuel, God is with me. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas season, that God is always with us. I wanna leave you with this scripture and I wanna pray for you. But it comes from John 14, 27. In the context of when Jesus gave this scripture is that Jesus, when he died and resurrected and he walked 40 days on the earth before the ascension and for the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what he said to his apostles, to his disciples. He said this, he said, peace I leave with you, but it's not a, it, this peace that I give you, I don't give it to you as the world gives you. 
So he's saying it's not just a natural peace. It's not a peace where I get you away from conflict. But he's saying, I want to give you a peace that in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your conflict, there's going to be an awareness that Emmanuel is with you, that God is with you. So he says, as I give you this peace, do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. This is the gift of Christmas that God wants to give us. And we've been given such a great gift because the Father sent the Son, but who did the Son send? The Son sent the Holy Spirit. And so know that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that you and I have ever been given, that he is our comforter, he is our leader, he is our guide, he is our helper. He makes everything who Christ was come alive in your life. And that's why we worship Jesus. That's why we say what a beautiful name it is because in that name, hell has to stop. Hell's, the forces of hell have to stop against your life because you've been given authority. Though he strike your heel, you can crush his head. And so it's time, if we can take the Christmas gift, we can understand that in this season, that he's a God of seasons, that he works in small things, that it may seem problematic, but get focused, don't be afraid, keep unpacking it, and then ultimately trust the timing of God. I'm gonna leave you with this story, then we're gonna take a moment and worship. But I was thinking that kids have a way and kids have been our life the past 17 months. These are two babies, Daniel and Eleonora. But they've taught us really that God doesn't work in seconds, he works in seasons. When we had our baby shower, we had got so many different sizes of clothes from three months to six months to a year. And when we lined them all up in the closet, I can remember pulling off something that Daniel would wear at a year and say, there is no way he would ever fit into this. This, this little guy, this, there's no way that's ever going to fit him. And I can begin, I can think back now that when three months rolled around and then six months rolled around, we started putting him as he started growing. And the thing is, and this was just a picture I want you to leave with, is God's got the exact outfit you need for the season that you're in. That if you stay in something too long, it will hinder you. Or if you try to get something that's too big, it will hinder you as well. But in that season that you're in, if you can say, Holy Spirit, outfit me, clothe me in Christ, give me what I need, the greatest gift that I've been given is Jesus, make him come alive in me, then that peace that we just read is going to come alive in you. That the peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that only heaven can give and deposit in your life. I'm telling you this Christmas season, he wants to outfit you with exactly what you need. Don't despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If you would stand to your feet this morning, I want to pray for you and I just want to take a moment and worship the name of Jesus and focus our attention. If you bow your head. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of Jesus this morning. God, we ask right now that the peace of God, that the peace that Jesus came to give us, not as the world gives, would rule and reign in our hearts. God, that anxiety has to go. Anxiety, when we're anxious about something, it only drains today of its strength. It doesn't empty tomorrow of its worries. So God, we put anxiety under our feet and we crush it. We put depression, despair, hopelessness, a sense of, of angst of God, where are you? A sense of, am I in your timing or not? God, when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on his presence, when we focus on the gift he's given us, and that is the Holy Spirit, we begin to get perspective. We begin to see what you're doing with the seeds that you're planting in our life. 
God, we take the seeds that you've given us, we choose to work it, to plant it, to surrender it, to give it, to lay it down and say, here I am, Holy Spirit, take all of me, use me. I wanna be a vessel for you to flow through. Right now as we worship, we ask that we would just be filled with the love of Jesus, that we would be filled with the greatest gift that was given to us, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can have a relationship with Jesus. As we worship you, God, let this become a reality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.